Warning, the following show is intended for mature audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome back. Coffee with the Johns. Hello, everybody. Good morning. Episode 235. 235? I don't know. I just made that number oh. up. Um, season 2, episode 30, Friday the 13th. I mean, I was kind of close to just throwing so, random numbers out there, 235. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. You're tired. Um, once the coffee kicks in, John will make a little bit more sense. But we got a lot to cover today. I mean, there's uh, there's some cool real estate articles and news that we are going to uh, talk about and expand on. But more than anything, we're going to be talking about this new Delta variant and how it's going to be affecting your business, where you invest, how you invest, what types of properties you buy, the where people are going to be going. I mean, this is nuts. This is getting crazy, crazy, crazy. It's going to cost some... It seems like really escalating just like last like week. It's going to cost, I think, some serious civil unrest that we're going to be experiencing soon. Um, so stay tuned for that. We're also going to be talking about the new uh, infrastructure plan, the $3.5 trillion one. Uh, they also, from what I believe, they were already passed the or it's in congress the 1.5 trillion dollar one 1.2 is the one oh, they actually the, the bipartisan one that they just passed are sending over to the house the house now nancy pelosi said i am not taking up a single infrastructure bill until the second one is now passed through the senate and that's the three and a half trillion dollar yeah. one that has actually got quite a few problems uh to where even several democratic senators are like yeah, no. So we're, um, we're, we're going to cover that and how that affects real estate, how that affects your business, um, how inflation is affecting the way people are hiring and food costs and everything. So there's a lot going on in the market, a lot for you to understand and know the trends that are developing, uh, especially as you decide to invest, if you are deciding to make a move or invest out of state, which I recommend a lot of people do depending on where you live. Uh, so with that being said, welcome to the show, John Barr. How's it going, sir? Doing good. good? Yeah. Yeah. Our house is getting built. Yes. I'm kind of excited it's, about that. It's rocking and rolling. The rain kind of let up a little bit, even though I'm seeing that I think uh, this weekend or early next week, we're supposed to get a lot more rain. So hopefully... Hey, as long as I get the decking on before that happens, we're, they're working through the weekend to put it on. So I was like... That's hey. awesome. Oh, yeah. I was just kind of like, I had everything scheduled out to deliver Monday. And they're yeah. like, can we work this weekend? I was like, yeah. And I was like, Good, yeah. I was like, of course. Shit, how am I going to get all the material? I need like 150 sheets of plywood. I was like, I can't. So I was like, well, I guess I'm making four trips with my truck and just driving it back and forth. Oh, it's actually Saturday funny. Morning. I need 140 sheets of plywood. <laughs> you saw that post I sent you. There's people on Facebook everywhere selling stacks and stacks of plywood. Like piles of plywood they're selling. And I was like, man, I wonder how many people just ordered plywood thinking, oh, this is going to go through to the moon, you know, and I'm going to sell it I just love how like, some people, like, that is their investment strategy. Yeah. I'm going to buy plywood. But when you talk about getting in the stock market as a proven long-term track record of actually making money, like, oh, no, no, that's too risky. That's all fake. That's but all if you look at it, that, that's, where, that's where we are right now, though. I mean, everything is speculation. Everything is fast money. Everything is like, how can I buy this and turn it for this real, really fast and without hey, much work and without doing anything? And it's like, yeah, all those strategies they could pay out big or you could bust. Yeah. And I've been seeing these stacks of plywood. Some of them are saying $30 a sheet or best offer. I was like, oh, what price did you buy them at? I'm curious because now I can buy a pile of plywood, plywood for <laughs> about 23 bucks. 
at Home Depot. Yeah, I had a, our, our one of our framers said, "Hey, my vendor just came out and said he's a uh, he's got ply- seven sixteenths plywood uh, for twenty three bucks a sheet." It's like I can buy it brand new for twenty three bucks a sheet. That's like, insane. There's no reason for me to no, no, not at you all. Because you said they're like, "Hey, they're selling it at 20 It's like I'd rather pay a dollar more to get like no, brand new. No, at thirty dollars, thirty dollars a sheet. It was at thirty dollars a sheet what the he was selling it. So that's why because when I send it to you, you had sent me also that OBS had dropped another ten dollars. I was like. Even then, this is more expensive. What? OBS? No. OSB. There you go. OBS like, is what yeah, we I was use. like, OBS. Okay. As I'm, <laughs> I got a little dyslexic with the letters. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's really crazy what's happening. And we're going to talk about also, you know, more material shortages. What we've been talking about for the longest time is how things connect, right? I mean, a lot of people are always looking at, what they see right now and it's like what comes behind it is what really matters all the shortages that this problem right here in the front is going to cost in the back end and it's usually much greater right so i mean we're seeing that with auto uh, car prices we're seeing that with materials of all sorts medical equipment i mean it's all across the board um <laughs> with that being said we have uh we have a few, we have real estate, we have the Delta variant, we have inflation, we have the infrastructure bill. Where do you want to start? Uh, like First thing I want to address, Tommy, here's his ideas. Like, plywood is a cash business, pure profit. Write off the expenses and pocket the cash. I mean, I guess there's one way to do it. You write it off at 30 and then you sell it at 25. And yeah, you get the cash in your pocket, then you get write off. It's kind of a wash because then you get write off the expenses. You can so write off the expense, but you still need to make money that year. Yeah, yeah. As long as you're profitable, as long you still you, you, need to be profitable somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So what are we doing? Um, Real estate, infrastructure, uh, Delta variant. What are we doing? Um, I like starting with real estate because that's what I dream about every single night. Oh, uh-huh. and do all day and go. <laughs> okay, so we all know the rental market, the short of the housing shortages and stuff like that. And there's a couple reasons. Uh, People are always like, oh, it's. we've had some people comment in here uh, saying like, oh, it's those big institutional buyers. That's what. That's who's bidding up these prices and stuff. So I got two articles on uh, one on the rental market and one on uh, Wall Street getting into the housing market. So mm. first we'll go with uh, rental bidding wars heating up as the economy improves in a tight housing market. So we haven't had gotten to a bidding war yet for any of our properties, but we have significantly increased rents on houses that somebody bought a house, moved out of, and it went up for rent. Again, I didn't jack the rent up on somebody. It's like, hey, tenant bought a house. They ended their lease, so I'm going to see what I can get for rent. And we got $475 more this year than we did last year for the exact same house. So there are usually reserved for home buyers, but bidding wars are becoming more common in the rental rental home market. Demand for apartments and single family rentals is surging and outpacing supply. As the economy improves, workers are moving out of shared living situations and looking for their own homes. In addition, the housing market is so expensive right now that many would-be buyers are being priced out. That has them looking for rentals. The rental applications that we're getting right now, we're seeing higher credit scores. We're seeing applicants willing to put put down more in terms of security deposits. We're seeing strong rental history as well. That wasn't necessarily the case pre-COVID. Matt Van Cycle moved to New York City this weekend to start a new job. He toured about 15 apartments in two days after searching on apps like Easy Street, he saw prices in the units he was looking for go up from up 300 to $400 in just over two to three months time. Mm. 
In July, <laughs> rents nationally rose 7% year-over-year from one-bedroom apartments and 8.7% for two-bedroom apartments. This is up from 5 and 6.5% annual gains in June, according to Zumper, a national risking rental platform. Strong job and income growth, as well as fierce competition for for-sale housing, is fueling demand for single-family rentals, Molly Bussell, principal economist at CoreLogic, said in a release. Boisel said she expects these factors to continue to drive the market this year, especially in and around cities and technology hubs as people start to return to offices. The coronavirus pandemic eviction moratorium, recently extended, is also playing into the supply situation, as some landlords are unable to evict tenants who are paying... Who aren't, who aren't paying, they have less supply to offer those who can pay. To offset losses, some are raising rents on the properties they can, knowing that demand in the market will support the increases. Yeah. Thoughts? I concerns. completely agree. <laughs> I mean, it's what we talked about before. This is because of the shortage of housing and everything that's going on and the, the increase in home prices and everything, it's in the afford- lack of affordability of a lot of these homes. People are getting bid out left and right. It's be- it's we're becoming even more of a renter nation, where it's like, what else is there? What else can people do? You know, you need a home, you need a place to go. Yeah. And then I believe that again, like what we're going to be talking about moving forward of this new variant that's happening, all these th- all these things that we're seeing, it's going to cause more uh, fear from people of. Kind of like, you know, oh, crap, is this 2020 again? And they're going to maybe get ahead of themselves anticipating certain things. So we might see a shift in uh, in that as well of people being desperate saying, let me get the hell out of an apartment and get a house. Because, you know, if this thing hits again, I don't want to be stuck in an apartment and another shutdown. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I think these are trends that we're seeing and that I think we're going to most definitely keep seeing. Buy and hold. We said at the beginning of this, buy and hold is always the way to go. And it just disproves it more and more. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. I mean, we're, we have such shortage of housing. We're like 4 million homes short. And then just, yeah. I think this next article talks about. We're, we're up to four. We were, I think, over a million before the pe- the pandemic hit. No, um, we, were over, we were over a million coming out of the Great Recession. Still, like coming out of a recession, right. millions of homes, like a million homes short. Yeah, and then now it's like it's only increased, increased, and now it's even it's more insane. fuel to the fire of the whole ordeal. So, I do have this other article, and it's a it's a bit lengthy, uh, but there was a lot to it. And it says Wall Street isn't to blame for the chaotic housing market. Uh, and I've heard this several times. Everyone wants to get in there to blame. Blame Wall Street, blame these private equities, blame the hedge funds. Like they're the reasons that mm. uh, housing prices are so high. They're buying up all the homes and they're not just, they're competing with everything. And this is not simply just not true. The number, they are a very, very, very small portion of the overall housing stock. Of I think, I don't remember the statistic. It was on a different website I heard, but the majority of like all the homes that are owned by landlords, yeah. like 95% of them are owned by individuals that own five or less homes. Yep. And it's just like, there's just not that many. The numbers do not come anywhere close to thinking that the private equity firms are holding on all these well, homes. It's what uh, Warren Buffett had mentioned, I don't know how many years ago. He says, if there was a way to pick up thousands of single family homes, he's like, I would in the drop of a dime. You know, he wants to get into single family investing. The problem is like for somebody like Warren Buffett, buying a few houses isn't enough. He yeah. needs to buy, you know, uh, pretty much a few cities you know, to make it worth 
uh, his yeah. time and his value and everything. And they're like, that's just not effective. It's not efficient. You know, there's no real way of doing that with very little risk that like he would like to invest. So yeah, I mean, it's not the big institutions. Yeah. So the article starts with a like, housing prices have yanked the dream of home ownership out of the desperate clutching hands of millions. Countless tenants don't even have that dream, chafing under the increasing rent burdens that are forced they are forced to bear. Some people are furious over reports that institutional investors, often private equity firms, are increasing the demand for housing and pushing prices upward. The Wall Street Journal wrote earlier this year that yield-chasing investors are snapping up single-family houses and competing with ordinary Americans making all uh, marketplace reported this the same noting one buyer that had been outbid six times by all cash offers emin writes that customers are increasingly competing against institutional investors and the real deal goes further claiming that one of the main reasons for skyrocketing prices are actually a huge buying spree from institutional investors so Somebody's putting articles out there saying it's like, oh, it's these big institutional investors. They're trying to just headline readers are getting people riled up and fired up. It's like the mass still doesn't. And that's why I like this article. It kind of gave both sides of the not argument. This is like where this is coming from is people putting out there saying, oh, it's these institutional buyers are driving up this housing, trying to put blame on somebody. It's important to understand that institutional investors play a small role in the American housing market. While there are big firms for apartments and other multifamily housing units, there traditionally hasn't been the same level of investment in single-family homes. And the main reason it has become so profitable in the pre-existing housing shortage created by local governments and certain homeowners seeking to block new homes from being built, leading to a nearly 4 million home shortage nationwide. So it's, it, that's what's driving these issues. It's like local governments and people fighting new housing developments um, what's that they call them, like the NIMBYs and not in my backyard people like, oh, you can build houses, but just not in my backyard. And then they complain about housing prices, say it's developers and everybody. No, it's the developers. You're lying. <laughs> so however the, uh, however, the idea that institutional investors are somehow largely to blame for the current housing market catastrophe is wrong and obscures the real, the real problem. Housing prices have been skyrocketing due to historically low supply, low mortgage rates, and the largest generation of American history entering the market looking for starter homes. But pre-COVID-19 research shows that institutional investors were still very small players. Mary reported that by 2016, private equity firms had acquired more than 200,000 homes, a fraction of the total number in America. A 2018 research paper notes that these investors accounted for less than 1% of all single-family housing rentals across the United States. 1%. Yeah. There's a lot of existing research that indicates institutional investors are a very small share of the investor pool. Goodman cites research released earlier this year that found that institutional operators own just 300,000 single family units in 2019. For context, the research points out that there are roughly 15 million one unit detached single family rentals. There are roughly 80 million detached single family homes in the United States. So they own 300,000 homes out of 15 million rental properties. So yeah, it's like when they're, anybody they're, says that, they're it's like, definitely the problem. Yeah, it's like that's 2%. And they own 2% of homes. Like you can't tell me that they're the ones driving the problem, but well, yeah. they got to have somebody to blame. Local governments will never take the blame. There's like, oh, it's these institutional investors. Oh, it's the developers. Oh, it's these people. It's, we're not doing it. We don't well, control and, policies and what's laws the, that dictate this stuff. What's the danger of what you just said is that I was, uh, I was actually watching a show. Uh, damn it. I can't remember the, but the, 
that comedian politician no political commentator uh what's his name bill bill maher bill maher i think he's but on it's hbo not, it's not bill burr no no well he's another one but he's just anyway but i was he had on ben shapiro and ben shapiro we all know is you know a very strong conservative with very opinion, opinionated guy and uh fast talker and will beat you down with a ton of facts whether they're facts that you like or not i mean you know they're still stats one thing that i noticed and that i pointed out to val was that you listen to the crowd and they clapped for let's say the pro mask the same way they clapped for the anti-mask the same way they clap for you know, pro rights against anti rights and all this, like they, they go wherever the flow goes. Right. So when you mentioned how this is headline reading, that's more than enough to get things going because the majority of the people, because they read these headlines and it's like, well, it's on this newspaper. So it's gotta be true. And everybody reads this newspaper and everybody's reading these headlines. Did you see that headline? And you know, it's these institutional investors. I completely agree. You know, they're those greedy investors, but nobody takes the minute to actually say, what is my actual thought on this? How about I dig a little deeper and look at the stats, look at the numbers. You'll find that stuff anywhere it doesn't it's hard like hard. how many yeah how many investors own single family homes and like and it's not like you can lie about that number no. it's no. like even if you add an extra zero three million out of 15 million it's like they're still not the majority well by a long shot even if you you're an investor right and you have access to let's say like a, a software like prop stream or anywhere else you get your list search institutional investors and see how many of them pop up and how many homes they own yeah. in the areas that you're looking at you're going to see, like we've seen when we, because that was one thing that we did is when we were looking for absentee and everything, we started weeding out the institutional investors and we saw like the numbers went down barely anything. It is like, huh, okay. So it's not that many. The majority are owned by people that own, you know, two to five homes. Like that's about it. Well, most people, like the majority of them, I would bet like is two homeowners. It's like they lived in a house, they moved to a new house and kept Mm -hmm. an old one as a rental property. Yeah. That's most Mo- mo- yeah. that's how most people become oh, landlords yeah. and they only do it once maybe twice yeah if, if you want to see a real drop on those numbers look for somebody that has anywhere from three to five properties and you'll see that number in tremendously shrink because the majority of them have two one extra property maybe two you know what i mean and that's it so yeah i mean th- again going back to the same thing there's a lot of times how many times do we put an article on because we just go through some of these media platforms and we we see a headline, headline or something we throw it in and then we take time to actually read them and see what it is how many times does our list just shrink the hell down because once you start reading you're like uh, oh there's absolutely bait. nothing here there's when you look at the data it's like no that's you know the title is this and, the, and when you read the body, it's like, no. And that's, uh, I can't remember where it was I heard it, but they're like, the person that writes the, the content is not the same person that writes the title. The person that writes the title writes for it to sell, not necessarily for it to reflect the content. You know what I mean? So I was like, yeah, I mean, there's a huge disconnect. So if you're headline readers, you're doing yourself a huge disservice because you're reading into the, all the wrong data and all the wrong things. But um, so I do have a real estate article, but I want to tie it in later because it ties in very nicely uh, when we start talking about uh, inflation and everything like that. But I did want to get into the whole case for the um, 
that's happening right now that we're seeing with the Delta variant, with everything that's happening, we're seeing like, it, it, this is, this is going to be very problematic for investors uh, depending on where you live. So we have, we're going to start here in Texas. We have uh, the Bayer County Civil District Court judge granted the city and Bayer County's request for a temporary restraining order against Abbott's executive order banning mask mandates in school. So we talked about this before. Governor Abbott came out and did an executive order that people cannot... Uh, Municipalities, municipalities, government buildings, schools, all that. You cannot force people to wear masks. You know, business owners have the right to choose. But any government building, anything like that, they couldn't mandate it. They couldn't force it. Well, now that's what uh, Bayer County did. They did a, a temporary restraining order. Uh, every time I hear that, I always, th- uh, I always hear of delaying a foreclosure. You know, when you use that to delay a foreclosure, we've used those a lot. But anyway, effectively, the ruling allows Bayer County and San Antonio officials to issue a mask mandate in public schools and other guidance like quarantine protocol for now. Officials say uh, they plan to have an order issue by the end of Tuesday. No details have been released yet on the guidance, but officials will hold a live press conference at 6 10 p.m okay not 6 p.m 6 10 <laughs> like such an arbitrary number but anyway with the ruling the city and county will immediately issue an order requiring masks in public schools and requiring quarantine if any unvaccinated student is determined to be in close contact with a covid 19 positive individual According to a news release, according to a news release, according to uh, documents presented in court, they will also require face masks for employees of Bayer County and San Antonio and visitors to city and county facilities. Um, so Kimberly Goodall, an assistant Texas attorney general, uh, said, a, said that a temporary restraining order will effectively undo state law. Not only are they asking this court to overthrow an executive order that carries the force and effect of state law, they are asking this court to throw out parts of the Texas Disaster Act that were passed by legislature. So we have Governor Abbott came out with an executive order. Now Bayer County is saying, no, we're not going to abide by that. You know, they filed temporary restraining order and for as the schools already notified uh, the parents and everything. They're like, hey, schools are uh, masks are back. Everything is back. We're going back to what we were doing before. So for all intents and purposes is, you know, 2020 has continued. You know, nothing has changed. Nothing has been going on. And we're seeing such a, a much bigger divide amongst the people now, you know, because we're seeing the people that don't want to get vaccinated, believe all the, you know, they're done with wearing masks, they're done with all this, and all the people that have been getting vaccinated want to wear masks and feel like their life is in danger. So this is causing a lot of instability, insecurity, and we're seeing it here in Texas where now this started with Dallas, it's going to San Antonio, um, and then we have shirts in Cibolo, which for those of you that don't know, is, you know, what, what would you call that? Like a suburb, sub, a sub market of San Antonio? Yeah, it's just another small municipality, but it's 
all you type in a zip code of San Antonio, even though it's shirts, it's gonna jump you there. Right. It's like it's all every kinda... city every major city's got its own little suburbs inside. So well, so we have uh, shirts in Cibolo, which uh, for those of you who may not know, it's on the 35 corridor, uh, heading towards Austin. So really good area for real estate. And Church Cibolo Universal City Independent School District is one such district where guidelines aren't as clear cut, um, said the superintendent, as it is in other areas uh, with mandating masks. Of the 17 campuses that are located there, 15 are in Guadalupe County, with two of them being in Bayard County. And he says, it is our belief that all of the school districts here, facilities, must follow the governor's executive order prohibiting schools from mandating face coverings. That means there will be no mask mandates for students, staff, or visitors to any of the district's 17 campuses, so including the two Bayard County campuses. So the, the two in Bayard County are really stuck between a rock and a hard place. They're saying... We're going to follow the governor, but then there's a mask mandate for Bear County for school districts, so, which these two are located it in. It seems so like, like how, it's what are they based on the superintendent. You know, the superintendent is the one that has to dictate, not the school itself. So, you know, it's it seems like it's whoever the superintendent is, they're the ones that, you know, if in that case, apparently they weigh more than maybe what uh, the restraining order is. I don't know. So uh, it seems like, but my point with all this is that and please, for everybody listening, this is not to get political. I am not trying to get political. This doesn't matter which side of the aisle you are. We're talking purely business, purely investing. You got to understand that you have people that are divided and very emotionally divided in this regard, right? So when you're seeing Bayer County enforcing all this. And then you're seeing these submarkets like Shirts, Cibolo, I've heard uh, Helotus, the same thing, that they're like, nah, you know, these smaller areas near a city, they're like, no, we're not going to enforce well, those like things. Near the city, like they, they are the city. Well, I mean, it's like there is no dividing line between like yes, Shirts, yes. Cibolo. It's like, yeah, it's, it's all like one. You're driving you don't know a you're good leaving. 10 miles before you hit it. Like, yeah. it, it it's not like driving right into it. It's like, nope, you are Shirts, Cibolo, Live Oak. The, you yeah. run all the Universal City, Converse. They're all just one giant conglomerate over there. But what I'm saying is that these places are starting to, you know, I don't know if I, I wouldn't use the word rebel. It doesn't matter what word you use, but they're not enforcing it. These are enforcing it. So you got to think to yourself when parents are making a decision of where am I going to buy a house? Where am I going to rent? Because my, I want my kids to go to school and all this. This is going to be a huge deciding factor when it's like, do I want to be in Bear County where they're doing masks? Or do I want to be in Sheridan Civil where they're not doing masks? So depending on how the parents fall within their belief of, you know, uh, yeah. uh, their fear of COVID and all of this, right or wrong, doesn't matter. Where is that going to pull people to? And that's going to affect real estate everywhere because yeah. that's going to affect our, where are people buying houses, where well, are people renting houses. You just houses. look at like <clears throat> the, the, the national migration of people from 2020. Like it exacerbated people leaving the coast, fleeing the coast, yeah. going to Texas, going to Florida, going to the South, going to the Midwest and leaving these areas that had high restrictions. They're like, we're done with it. We're out. We're leaving. And right. you can see that. So it's like, it's the exact same thing of just like it. And, and that's going to be something that, you know, to that point is that we've already kind of seen where a large portion of the population falls under. And it's not, I don't think it's so much that 
oh, they're responsible. They don't. It's not that. I think it's more that it's like they're tired of all of this, right? And they've seen that, you know, let's we're just purely talking stats, people, not talking p- political views or anything. Like, the number of mortality is really low. The number of, of severe cases is really low in relation to the overall population. You understand? Like, it's not that bad. There's a lot of people that have received, we've gotten it. There, a lot of our family members have gotten it. It wasn't bad at all. You understand? We know people right now that have it. They're, they're fine, right? So when you look at that and you look at the age, I think is going to be a huge factor. Younger people are a lot more against taking a vaccine or wearing a mask than you have your really older people. So those demographics are going to be interesting to see where are older people going, right? So is this going to affect places like, let's say, Florida, where all the old people go to Florida, but it's like, so what's that going to mean if Florida, you know, they have uh, DeSantis that he is beyond vocal. They, uh, I saw places they were calling him uh, mini Trump. Um, so he's beyond vocal about how he's like, nope, no mask. You're not being forced to get vaccines. You're not forced to do jack shit. You're banning employers from requiring it. Yeah, I mean, them in Texas kind of go step and step for a lot of things. Yeah, but he's about, a lot more vocal than Abbott. <laughs> yeah, and uh, but it's also... I, I, we live here, so we hear about these things here. Like, I doubt Florida hears about Bear County fighting the mask mandate stuff. So I'm wondering if they have the infighting against municipalities in Everybody pays attention, attention to San Antonio. What are you talking about? Yeah. We're, 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 they were saying that uh, we beat Dallas as uh, the we're more heavily populated than Dallas is. Not Dallas-Fort Worth, Dallas. Well, yeah. So, uh, you know, San Antonio is growing pretty big. Yeah, I mean, it's the second largest city in Texas. And if you say Dallas for worse, then you got to say San Antonio, Austin, because it's about the same distance. You know what I mean? So it's like, now what's going on here? And it's a powerhouse. Don't don't knock on oh, San dude, Antonio. Yeah, it's going to be North Texas versus South uh, South Texas. But let me, let me continue because this builds on. I mean, this, guys, I mean, this is something that we're going to be covering a lot of things related to business and real estate because of this factor. So pay attention. Hey, podcast Thank you for listening. I hope you're enjoying the show. And if you want to get very exclusive insider tips and strategies that nobody else is getting, then you need to join our text community by texting podcast to 210-794-9898. That's 210-794-9898. Text the word podcast and you will start receiving insider information Things that are happening that we're realizing that we're implementing in real time that other people have no access to. So make sure you text us now. Now back to this show. Um, the title of this article is Everybody I Know is Pissed Off. So while most states and national GOP leaders are focused on defending the rights of unvaccinated American, new polling shows that the large majority of vaccinated adults including a substantial portion of Republicans, support tougher measures against those who have refused COVID-19 shots. All of this suggests that as the Delta variant pandemic of the unvaccinated disrupts the return to normal life promised by the vaccines, a backlash may be intensifying among those who have received the shots against those who have not. 
And that could leave Republican leaders who have unstintingly, think, unstintingly, whatever, it's a weird word, um, stressed the rights of the unvaccinated, including Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida and Greg Abbott of Texas and House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy. Um, then the, it was said, uh, over time, this general sense may grow of why are we who are vaccinated enduring this in order to coddle this liberty fantasy of the unvaccinated? And I think that is going to get stronger as the inconvenience grows and as the wind goes out of the getting back to normal sales, which is clearly happening. Everybody I know is pissed off. So that was uh, another uh, commentator saying that. So going back to this, people are people have gotten vaccinated. People do want to go back to normal. Even the unvaccinated, everybody wants to go back to normal. But what's the issue is that right now, as it stands, the vaccine is the way we're going to do that, right? For all intents and purposes, that's what you hear. That's what you see. That's what's being put out everywhere. We get the vaccine. Life goes back to normal. Everything is great, right? So now they're saying, wait, so now our kids got to go back to wearing masks. We got to go back to wearing masks here. We're, you know, they're at some point, they're probably going to start limiting how many people go into places again and doing all this. It's like, wait, because some people don't want to get vaccinated. This is going to cost, again, like I said at the beginning, uh, civil unrest. It's going to cost a lot of people to oh, get pissed just, off. It was like, it's not political. I'm like, bullshit, it's not political. Like, yeah. everything is like, this is being used by both sides across all spectrums. I mean, even our two governors of DeSante and Abbott are going back and forth to who can be the most strictest because they both want to become presidents in the face of the Republican parties. It's, yeah. it's become just a, a political football that they're tossing back around, back and forth, which, and I just don't understand it. It's like, from own personal experience, like had COVID, had common colds that were way worse than that. I know that's not the case for some people because obviously some people do get very sick from it and I do sympathize for those people. But it's just one of those like, we have to shut everything down and do we have to penalize because we're the government and you have to do as we say to where it's, it's now it's about overreach of just like how much can we force upon our positions like we believe this, how much power can we have? It's the power between municipalities versus the state. It's like, we want to do this because you say we can't do this. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people like you say you can't, you tell me like, I'm one of those people. You tell me I can't do something. I'm like, you watch me. Yeah. I'm going to do it. And yes, like, you are. so Annoying. you have, <laughs> so you have the national government versus the state governments, the local municipalities versus state governments. You have everybody going back and forth and seeing like how much power can you push and how much power do you have? Well, so to that point, right. Um, I forgot, I can't remember who, who was it that said it to me recently, but they're like, you think we're going to see a civil war, right? I was like, we are in a civil war. We've been in a civil war. I was like, it's just not being fought with weapons and, and killing people. I was like, this civil war, if you look at the country, is becoming more and more divided. Like, it's beyond insane uh, how, like, people are choosing sides. And this is a huge divide, yeah. This is a very, very big topic to divide because this is a topic of do we get to go back to normal or do we have to stay at home? So, again, not whether there's government overreach, all of that, that's whatever you want to feel about it. That's fine. That's your opinion. That's, that's your feelings. It's good. What I'm saying is that you got to pay attention as an investor and as a business owner 
the fact that you have such a large population of people that are getting vaccinated, are afraid, right? Whether it makes sense to you or not, they are afraid. And this is going to affect the way policies are made. This is going to affect the way businesses are ran. This is going to affect the way people invest, <laughs> buy, and sell real estate. This yep. is going to affect all of that. Well, you just look at it in the sense of like, we have a housing shortage. We know one of the major causes of this housing shortage is the government regulations around the industry. And the fact that we have to have all these permits, we have to have inspections, we have to do all this stuff. Well, now them coming through and say, we have to add, put more mask mandates in place. Well, people don't want to go to work. Yep. Uh, people, they limit number of capacities of going into government buildings. Well, now I can't get through permits as fast. You can't get support through the online. You can't go down there to figure out their stupid systems. So now it's going to slow down the building process even more to where it's like, okay, that's so now that tells me they're it's going to limit the supply of property. Once again, we covered that article to where shirts and Cibolo were only allowing seven units per builder per month to be built because they didn't have the staff to yeah. do this we're like it's going to slow it down even more to where like housing costs are going to continue to rise to a new find the new equilibrium to where i just like median sales price again for what, what month would that be july it was up another ten thousand bucks yeah. to where like we're now changing our investment strategy like i'm not in a rush to finish renovations it's like if you got other projects that's fine you can go do all those ones make your money keep my costs down because Every month, the price of the house goes up $10,000. Yep. It's like, I just, it's a small, quick renovation. We could have finished it probably a month ago if we would have pushed, but there was no need. No. Like, towards like, I just, I'm just not moving quick on these things. Yeah. No, yeah. It, it's, it's something that, like, we talk about it. As an investor, you got to be smart about what you're doing. You got to understand the numbers. You got to understand, like, the whole point of this whole topic is you got to understand demographics. How do people buy? How do people invest? The psychology of people. Great book. Um, that I, oh, excuse me. That I recommend everybody read is called Influence by Robert Cialdini, and he just came out with the revised version. That's like I think twice the size or three times the size of his original book. Um, but it, it talks about the human psychology. How is it that people think in forms of groups? in forms of, you know, if you can prove that other people are doing it, then they're more likely to do it as well. When you understand the psychology as an investor, now you can start seeing, okay, where are we now as, um, as investments go, as the market goes, right? Well, right now we are more leaning towards like this percentage of the population is fully vaccinated, right? So they're leaning more towards that. So if they're fully vaccinated, chances are they're going to be pissed off at anybody that isn't. Yeah. And they're going to be more prone to areas that are more protected and stuff like that. So if you have a larger percentage of that, then maybe you should be looking at picking up real estate in those areas because you're going to have more of a demand. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Versus the other areas. So, I mean, these are things I'm not, this is not financial advice. This is just kind of like, how do you analyze the trends? This is not about, at least this should not be about, oh, I think people that wear masks are stupid, so I'm not going to buy there. Uh I think you know, that's stupid. That's very stupid because you got to think about what makes sense as an investment that you cannot be emotional. Every time you're emotional in business, you're going to lose your ass. You understand? And like you can have your political views and everything you want, but you still need money to feed your family. So you got to be smart or get, just get out of the business at that point. But let, let me continue with this next article that ties in is the, the title was funny. It said, forget government mandates. Companies are calling the shots. 
So you have United Airlines, Disney, Microsoft, Walmart, Google, Tyson Foods have announced plans to require their workers to get vaccinated before returning to uh, office and other locales. Many more are uh, have reinstated mass mandates uh, for frontline workers and others. We know some of you will disagree with this decision to require the vaccine for all United employees, said the CEO. Um, but they added the fact the facts are clear are crystal clear. Everyone say, is safer when everyone is vaccinated. President Joe Biden on Wednesday met virtually with executives from United and other companies to enlist them in getting more Americans vaccinated, even as Republican uh, politicians such as Florida Governor DeSantis, Rand Paul and Kentucky Senator Ted Cruz. Um, Rand Paul of Kentucky, I was, I was like, Ted Cruz is from Kentucky, yeah. and Senator Ted Cruz of uh, Texas uh, rallied against... Mm, mandatory masking and vaccines and it says uh, they say it's time for us to resist they can't arrest all of us paul uh, Rand paul said in a video monday condemning covid 19 regulations they can't keep all of your kids home from school they can't keep every government building closed although i've got a long list of ones they might keep closed or ought to keep closed. <laughs> um, it is DeSanti who has become the poster boy for resistance as he prepares his 2022 re-election bid and what is widely expected to be a 2024 presidential campaign. His office on Monday said that the State Board of Education could move to withhold the salaries of superintendents and school board members who disregard the governor's executive order prohibiting mass mandates in school districts. But in Florida, one of the state's largest employers has parted ways with the Republican governor. Disney is requiring all of its salaried and non-union employees in the United States to be fully vaccinated. Employees have 60 days from the end of July to comply. So. Well, then there's the other thing we talked about big government versus states, locals versus state, like everything like that. Well, now you also have companies versus local governments because they also, Florida and Texas, have banned workplaces from requiring those things. But yet now the companies themselves are coming out saying, well, we're going to do it anyways. So it's going to add up all kinds of legal fights of infighting for these kind of things. So it's And then you look at, you know, the things that jump out to me is when you have people like, uh, Rand Paul and the Sanzis and other ones like they're saying, you know, we must resist. What are they going to do? Arrest us all. They can't arrest us all. So what does that mean to you? Right. To me, that's like what any layman person hearing this, that's civil unrest. That means you yeah. should cause problems. Right. And then I've heard people from the left say, you know, it's criminal people that don't get vaccines. You know, it's dangerous what they're doing. They're being criminals. They're being uh, terrorists is one of the terms I heard for not getting vaccinated. Conspiracy theorists. Well, yeah, but I'm saying like criminals, terrorists, you know, they can't arrest us all. We must resist. You got to let these words in the ears of people that are overwhelmed, that are stressed out, unemployed, underemployed, looking for work, stressed, you know, worried about what's going on, can't send their kids to school, need daycare, whatever it is, this, this is another boiling pot. 
This is yeah. something else that starts building up. And these are things that as investors, we need to be very cautious about that if you're an investor in this moment that you're just like, oh, market's going up, let it ride. Let me just keep throwing money at everything. We know investors are very new at the market and they're just buying shit up left and right because money is easy. And it's like, you got to understand and you got to be cautious. I'm not saying don't invest at all. You should always invest. Yeah. You just got to be smart with how you invest. It's the famous Warren Buffett's like always protect your downside. Like, what, so what if it doesn't go as planned? Like, what's Correct. your what's your fallout? What's your fallout? But have you seen some of the stuff that's going over in Europe with regards to these mandates and stuff like no. that? So they're all they're the EU and several like Greece and France and Germany are passing um, like basically green card, not green cards. Um, <laughs> But there's green passes okay. that are called. So if you're vaccinated, you get this pass and you need to have this pass in order to literally just do about every anything kind of like New York, but even more so. And like a quarter million people rushed the streets of like France in front of their government or whatever it was. And were protesting this thing about the, their rights, the unvaccinated saying like, you can't do this to us. Like you are dividing like segregating yeah. being like like all this racism thing like now you're turning it towards like vaccinated versus unvaccinated where it's like you can't go in coffee shops you can't go in restaurants you can't go in bars you can't go to entertainment you can't take airlines you can't do literally anything without this green pass thing showing you've been vaccinated and they pass this stuff and there's a lot of people that are actually when they say like what's the next step like people actually coming out and banding together and being like you want to see protests? All right. Well, now we're going to protest the other direction. Yeah. And they're saying peacefully protest, but they had a quarter million people like marching the streets. I was like, that's not a small amount of people. Well, and that's something that, you know, we've seen here is like you can have a mostly peaceful protest until you have a few jackasses that decide to cause problems. And then the mob mentality kicks in. And those few jackasses now all of a sudden have few thousand jackasses following them yeah. and causing real mayhem, real issues. And we've saw we saw this. We saw, we saw this already. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like those are the things that matter the most when you're thinking about this and you're looking at this. It's like I do foresee uh, another shutdown possibly coming, right? Because it's like how can't it? With the way they're building this up, the way they're doing all this, and the way that right, even right now, you know, to Val's point, is they're pretty much all saying uh, this uh, FDA said, okay, you can do booster shots too now. Because apparently the vaccine doesn't actually, it doesn't prevent you from spreading it and it doesn't prevent you from getting it. It just makes it so when you do get it, it's less uh, aggressive, right? It doesn't, uh, it has less of a chance to kill you. Um, but they're seeing that it's not enough. You need booster shots. So now you're booster, booster, booster every year. Boosters. Yeah. So some of them are talking about uh, a third to fourth shot that you're going to need. And this is something that it was even said at the beginning. This might be something that need, might need to be done twice a year, quarterly. You know what I mean? That you're going to need to get these vaccines. So you're polarized. Like these things are very, very polarizing. People have very, this has been, and we saw it with that article a political weapon that both sides are using. And yeah. you got to listen to it because you got to pay attention. How are, how's each side using this weapon, right? What are the, the, what's the governor from here doing? What are the, what is the law like for here in Bayer County? Again, whether you agree with it or not, it doesn't matter. This is not about the politics. This is about like here in San Antonio, right? You got to look at the laws. Does San Antonio even have a case? If they have a case, okay, what is that going to mean for me as an investor? 
If they don't have a case, that means it's going to go back to pretty much being open and all that thing. What does that mean? Are people that are in San Antonio going to get pissed that that happened going to move? Are they going to go somewhere else? Are they going to relocate because of that? You understand? Because now, the, again, yeah, they may have gotten the COVID vaccine. That doesn't mean they're not going to get it. That doesn't mean that they're not going to get sick. That doesn't mean that they can't spread it. So now they're probably worried that it's like, damn, now all these other people are walking around with no vaccine and I can get sick still. You know what I mean? I can still get very sick and all this. And it's like, you can still get sick regardless. But, you know, it's that fear that's going around that makes people, it's just what you and I have talked about before so many times. Somebody wears a mask. Somebody that doesn't looks at them. Oh, look at this jackass. What an idiot. What a moron. Like that level of rage that's in people. Yeah. Is goes to show the level of emotion that's behind the decisions they're going to make. And as real estate investors, buying a home, renting a home is an emotional decision, right? A lot of times it's, a, it's how they come in and how they feel about the home. Well, it's like you look at it like when do investors thrive? When emotions are running high. Yes. It's like when 2008 or 2020 when everything's like when emotions are in high, people panicked and sold and freaked out and went nuts. People that made money, the investors, like they had their wits about them and they saw the opportunities. And they were the ones that profited from it. So it's one of the, when emotions run high, there's opportunity to be made somewhere right now. The emotions are running high, um, slowing down the building process where I don't see 4 million homes coming online just like that, even with the recent drop in lumber prices. It's like, it's, they're not going to get built because now you don't have the staffing to for the regulations that they put in place for the municipalities to see these homes being built. So, so let's... Let's cover some of the staffing issues, right? A study from uh, Qualtrics asked people what they do if their employer mandated getting vaccinated. The result clearly show that uh, the chasm between Americans, about 44% of workers uh, said that they would consider leaving their jobs. 44% would consider leaving their jobs if they were forced to get their shots. Around 38% of workers would consider leaving their current employer if the organization did not enact a vaccine, a vaccine mandate. So you have 44% of people are saying they would leave and 38% of people saying they would leave if they don't. Wow. So these are big percentages, right? So willingness to consider quitting without a mandate was more prominent among men. 43% of them were men and women were 32%. And then 51% were Democrats and 27% were Republicans. So, so, so men were more, they wanted the mandates, right? Willingness yeah. to consider quitting without a mandate. Correct. Men were more than women and Democrats more than Republicans. But what goes to show is that even 51% Democrats, 27% Republicans, there's still a large percentage there that's undecided, right? And a 27% of Republicans... 51, like that's, you put those things together, it's, it's very large numbers you're looking at. It's even across political lines that this is happening. So then over half, 56% of respondents in the tech sector said they might walk uh, if there was no mandate in place at work. While 34% of retail employees and 21% of uh, those with government jobs said the same thing. Tech workers who tend to be more liberal-leaning, showed strong support for vaccine mandates overall with about 
three-quarters of workers express an approval of the idea. The Equal Employment Opportunity Commission has weighed, has weighed in with guidance that answers some workplace vaccination questions. Employers may encourage or require COVID-19 vaccinations, but policies must comply with the Americans with Disabilities Act. And it talks about which act it is. And other workplace laws, according, according to them. It makes sense for companies to come down on a strict policy as they face considerable risk and liabilities. If a person contracts or spread COVID-19, a lawsuit against the firm may follow. So that's a huge fear for companies. Some workers don't have much of a choice as their employers have already made the decision. And, and this had a bigger list. So you have Facebook, Google, Twitter, Morgan Stanley, CNN, The Washington Post, United Airlines, Microsoft, Uber, Netflix, Walgreens, Tyson, Walmart, and Disney. Tall all or a segment of their workforce to get their shots. The way a person replies in a study may not necessarily correlate with what they do in real life. It is easy for a person to anonymous, anonymously respond that they'll quit if forced to get vaccinated. The reality is it's not easy. So yeah. this is something that, you know, you're looking at it and it's like, you look at these percentages and you say, okay, yeah, wow, those are crazy percentages. And, but look at all the people that are against it and all that. Okay. But when jobs become maybe harder to get, you know, and it becomes more difficult and you're seeing more companies offer it, uh, uh, do the same thing. And your company is saying, hey, either you get vaccinated or you lose your job. I would bet that a lot of those people that said that they would leave won't. Because I think at the end of the day, they're going to be like, well, where the hell am I going to leave if everybody else is doing it too? Yeah. What am well, I going to do? Yeah, I agree. It's like, they say like, it's not so easy just to quit. Yeah, you can't. You just been saying like, I'm quitting my job. Well, it's like, yes, there are plenty of jobs to choose from right now uh, out there. But it's also one of these like, you have to uproot your entire lifestyle and move. And they're like, can you find one in the local place that plays, pays the same? Or do you have to uproot and move? And like, how passionately do you feel like, yeah, I'll quit. But in reality, I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to do it because I don't want to yeah. go through all that news. And that's what they're going to do. It's like, they're, I don't think they're going to, they're just going to so much pressure from all sides that eventually is going to come down that the, they'll get what they want. Yeah. It's all, I mean, you got companies, you got municipalities, you got governments, you got all these people fighting amongst each other to where it's like, us in between the individual and finally people are just gonna be like, okay, I'm done fighting with this. Like, fine, let's do it. Let's move on I'm over it. Well, so. and then, I mean, a point that I see now is that you look at this, are we going to start seeing maybe a fight with companies where you're going to, because I already started seeing uh, Grant Cardone came out and he said, any company within his uh, holdings will not require or demand any vaccine shots or mass mandates, Yeah. right? So are we going to start seeing companies put up no vaccine required, required. signs? It's kind of like know? in the Texas versus California kind of thing last year where it's like, hey, no lockdowns here. Yeah. Come on, we're ready. So is, is that going to be the next way that uh, these companies attract, uh, compete for talent, right? Where it's going to be like... And, and this is one thing that's very telling is that right now a lot of talent that we are using in the workforce a lot of it is based on tech and when you have like they said the majority of the tech sector how it's mostly liberal like 
that's going to be a huge deciding factor for a lot of businesses to determine whether do I want to use this as a tool or not? Because there's also that saying that like if you're if you don't stand with it, then you stand against it. Where if these companies are like, you know what, I'm not going to demand it or fight against it. Like, I'm just going to leave it alone. Are those companies going to get hurt? Because then people are going to be like, well, I don't know where you stand. You yeah. know, what I mean? you, you haven't like picked the side. So, I mean, what do you think as far as like companies go, as far as being a business owner and owning your company and everything, like, how do you feel like this is going to affect? Because another point that they said was they run the risk that if they don't and somebody gets sick, they can come back and sue them. You know, well, it depends on this. I think that comes down to state law, too, because I do remember, I don't remember if it was federally or state or what it was that they prohibited and protected businesses from liability of COVID and stuff like that. I know there was stuff in the governments last year. I don't remember like where it actually ended up. And I think it was one of the, it was one of the federal ones. They were bidding back and forth. Like the Democrats wanted this and Republicans wanted that to where it's like, we wanted liability protection for businesses. And the Democrats said they wanted something else. I don't remember where that all ended up um, to where like, what well, is the liability uh, based on that? And then my thing is like too, you know, attorneys don't exist because, you know, they don't do anything. <laughs> they, they, they are the biggest problems of why lawsuits and shit gets filed. I mean, you can essentially sue anybody for anything. You know, it's like, yeah. does, do they have a case? Are they going to have an attorney that's going to find a loophole around it? Like, as a company, if you're not this massive conglomerate, you know, if you're not an Apple or Google or Walmart, is that a big fear? If you're smaller, that's like, yeah, okay, maybe in Texas they don't have a right to sue me, but it doesn't stop them from trying and from me to having to defend myself. So as a business owner, is it smart? And can you have employees when they sign out, when, they, uh, when you employ them, sign a waiver saying like, I don't hold my employer liable. Yeah, if I it's I like, hey, it. vaccines are not required in here and you're taking liability yourself to work here right so now well, i mean i could definitely see that and back to your point later or earlier of like what do companies do as far as like using it to coax people you kind of have to look at well what's your talent pool want do they want vaccination like if you're in a tech company and what was it like 56 percent of people and like some of the best tech workers like require it's like you better require it because that's what you're going to need to attract talent yeah to your company it's like businesses just like we talk about investing is it's, it's unemotional so it's just like hey um is it good for my business or bad against for my business requiring or not requiring it? If yeah. you're a tech company and you want to recruit, recruit that talent and you want to grow your business, grow the business, which you have to do, it's your job. Well, I guess you got to require vaccines. Yeah. And I, and I think for, for the whole, you know, job market, like it's, it becomes very tough for people, especially people that are already having a tough time finding work when you, maybe you are one of those tech people that, are not liberal, right? And you probably feel like, no, I don't want to get a vaccine. You're young, right? Maybe you already got COVID like myself. Like I'm, I don't, I'd rather not put, put that kind of stuff in my body, right? Like I just don't feel like I need to. Um, I feel like my immune system is strong enough. I've looked at the data, looked at the research and everything. I feel like I have a good chance, but I'm taking responsibility for my life. Yeah. Now, do I run the risk of spreading it? Everybody does. Somebody well, that's, that's vaccinated now, runs like, the risk. Yeah. So that's what you're seeing now, like people with that even have the vaccines, they still get it. It's like the, the vaccine was designed more. They're seeing like it lessens the symptoms. Yeah. You just don't get as sick, but you still catch it and can still spread it. So, so like I've, that's what just perplexes me about the whole well, th or the whole thing. It's uh, like, 
And then what? if if I mean if we want to get a little bit more talking about inefficiencies, is that you know they, they and you kind of seen this across the board. They've the the narrative has moved away from deaths and moved towards more you know hospitalizations. Yeah. Right. That that's why we're doing it. We're not doing it for the deaths because they realize that's like not that many people are dying. Like yes, there's still a large number no, uh, number of people dying, but when you compare that proportion to the overall population, it's a very, very tiny percentage. Yeah. You understand? So that you, when you look at that, they, now they're saying, you know, it's hospitalizations. Now the hospitals are being overwhelmed again. And my thing is like, how? How are hospitals being overwhelmed again when they, this has been going on for what, a year and a half? You know what I mean? Like, well, no, a year. A year and a half, yeah, since yeah. March. So like, uh, a year and a half and hospitals still are not don't have areas don't have designation don't have more beds don't have areas you know for covid patients they don't have they're not prepared nothing you know what i mean like i i just find that very irresponsible from the medical field and, and excuse my ignorance if there's a real reason why that's happening i would love to hear it i haven't i have not heard why but to me, it's like, how is it 18 months later, you are still not prepared for this? Yeah. You understand? Like, since day one, they've always said, like, it pretty much needs to go through everybody. It's just, how bad is it going to be when it hits you? Yeah. Right? But it needs to go through. Like, it's a virus that's just, it's not going away. Yeah. You understand? So it's like, why aren't hospitals prepared? So then this doesn't become such a massive issue like it's becoming now. You know? So, again... This is serious. This is something that when we look at real estate, where are you going to be investing? Well, this is a very serious issue as far as like you look at employment. You look at the who are your biggest employers. So you look at a place like Austin, right? Austin is huge in the tech sector. They're huge in the, the liberal sector, right? So it's like if you're an investor and you're investing in Austin, like you kind of want them to push for mandating masks, mandating vaccines, forcing all of this. Because it's going to make the people that have pretty much blown up Austin want to go to Austin more. And stay there. Yeah. You know what I mean? And not want to move. And then if you're like in other cities where maybe it's heavier on the unvaccinated side and people want, you know, they don't want to get vaccinated and all that. You got to see those things. You got to see where am I going to invest? Where my business? If, I, if you're a business owner and you're hiring, you got to consider this. Because then you got to consider the liability aspect of that. Right. Yeah. There's a huge liability if somebody, God forbid, starts working for you and they get COVID and then they decide to sue you. That can put a lot of businesses out of business. Yeah. You understand whether they have a case or not, but you having to defend yourself, the amount of headache and money it's going to cost you. So, I mean, this is, I think, a very big issue. This is going to be something that as investors, we need to take very, very serious. And as looking at how are these trends developing? How are these laws? How, you know, Bear County fighting with uh, Governor Abbott, how's that going to play out? And apparently uh, Monday is when they have the court case. I don't know if there's going to be a decision Monday or if that's when it starts and the court case lasts for weeks. Nobody knows. Nobody knows what the heck is going to happen, but it's going to be a huge factor. I mean, a lot of businesses just recently started like lifting their mask mandates. Yeah. Now, and they were doing it because more of their customers were feeling comfortable. Now with this, we're starting to see more people mask up. So our business is going to start reincorporating their mask mandates. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I think it's going to be something that like, this is going to affect the market employment, 
you know, people quitting, not quitting, getting fired. You know, th this goes against a lot of people's very strong belief. And then it's combating with their ability to make money and survive. So it's like, do I get a vaccine that I don't believe in, right? Or maybe I feel like it could kill me or whatever your thought is. Or do I quit my job and go broke because I can't find another job because employment is difficult to find and get hired and all these other companies are doing the same thing. What do I do? Yeah. So, I mean, I think uh, overall, it's a very tough situation that we're in. And uh, it's something that I think everybody needs to, especially as real estate investors, like you need to be very aware of it. With that being said, I did want to make a quick little announcement. Uh, we are going to do a property tour today. So if you're in San Antonio, in the San Antonio area, uh, make sure you text property tour to 210-794-9898. And we're going to be going to check out one of the houses that the one that John was saying that we are not in a rush to sell. Uh, because it keeps going up. So we're going to, that one's completed pretty much. And we're going to go over that one, go over everything that we've done to it, all the work, everything. So if you want to come hang out with us and check that out, make sure you text property tour to 210-794-9898. Um, and with that being said, what you want to get into the infrastructure bill? Cause I'm very curious about that. You guys haven't been following that like every single day, just seeing what was going on. No. Oh, I wait for coffee on. with the Johns to get my news. If I get it all week long, I'd be freaking fried already. This, yeah, this thing yeah, stressed me out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let me see. Where was where did I put it? Uh, I would say economy. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, the Senate just passed a massive infrastructure bill. Here's what's in it. So it's kind of long. Do it right over there. <laughs> Are you doing with your finger? Did it wrong. Um, so the, uh, infrastructure bill, it's kind of long cause it breaks down like which like the six main points of it. Mm -hmm. So this is the bipartisan portion of it. The one where they all agreed on to actually put it, but it's also the one that they say is the house will not take up until the bigger one of three and a half trillion is there that expands all kinds of social programs. So the Senate approved a sweeping 1.2 trillion infrastructure bill on Tuesday that includes a substantial increase in funding for roads, broadband, energy usage, marketing, uh, marking a major step forward in President Joe Biden's economic agenda as the nation continues to recover from the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. I don't know if I'd say the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. I think the Great Recession in 2008 was pretty bad, too. Um, but anyways, like this, this is the portion that it seems like it's actually infrastructure that I think of it, like broadband, bridges, roads, like actual things that transmit data and mm -hmm. goods and services and stuff. The vote was 69 to 30, with 19 GOP senators joining Democrats following months of negotiation. With its massive price tag adding 550 billion in new spending the infrastructure investment and jobs act would upgrade the nation's power grid future efforts to fight climate change and start the removal of lead pipes that contaminate water supplies here's a look at the six major elements of the bipartisan infrastructure bill physical infrastructure repairs the biggest sum of money is directed towards repairing the nation's roads and bridges which faces a 786 billion dollar backlog of investment needs according to the american society of civil engineers under the plan 110 billion in new federal funding is set aside for physical infrastructure with a focus on climate change mitigation and safety measures including cyclists and pedestrian protections clean energy makeover the bill provides $73 billion in expanding clean energy sources and modernizes the nation's aging elect 
electricity grid with new transmission lines, the single largest investment in clean energy transmission in American history. Closing the digital divide. And this is the one part of it. I'm like, that actually makes sense. For years, Paul, this is a part of yeah, it's like people having internet shows that more people can contribute to society across lines and actually speeds things mm -hmm. up. So for years, policy experts have insisted on fixing the gaps in broadband internet access. The pandemic has only amplified these equity concerns as much of the nation continues to work from home, receive healthcare remotely, and learn online. In attempts to close the digital divide, the package includes $65 billion to connect rural areas and low-income communities to high-speed internet. Lead pipe replacement. Legislation allots $15 billion for lead pipe replacement, though water sector leaders argue it costs additional $45 billion to replace all lead pipes and service lines across the country. Democrats and Republicans have touted efforts to clean up water sources for years, sparked by the lead crisis in Flint, Michigan that started in 2014 and drew an international attention on long-term effects to lead exposure. Public transit. Under transportation... Under Transportation spending, the bill amortizes the largest investment in passenger rail since the creation of Amtrak 50 years ago. <clears throat> Some $66 billion will eliminate the Amtrak maintenance backlog, modernizing the Northeast Corridor and expanding rail services in high-potential areas outside the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic. This is the part to me that I'm just like, why do we keep putting good money after bad? Amtrak, which is state-owned, for-profit enterprise reported a net loss of $875 million in 2019 alone. That's before the pandemic and everything. They lost damn near a billion dollars a year and has lost money every year in its history. But federal subsidies and payments from states have allowed the agency to remain in service. And now we're going to take $66 billion to fix it to keep it losing money every single year. Like that, that to me is just one of those. I'm just like, why? I don't. Why? Yeah. Why? But yeah, or why not just absorb it and where it's not a for profit, it's just kind of like a, a service, I guess, that the government provides or something that becomes, I don't know, a write off. I mean, this is like freaking Tesla, you know, it's just being funded when it's hemorrhaging money every single year. Wait, well, was hemorrhaging money. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, there's a lot of things here in uh, capital asset pricing says the pork in the infrastructure bill will be in the detail. Oh, that's what I was getting. My next point was going to be, it's like, all right, so six portions, major portions of this bill. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't have a calculator on me, but $110 billion for infrastructure needs, $73 billion for clean energy, $65 billion for the digital divide, $15 billion for lead pipe replacement, and $66 billion for public transit. That, like that does not add up anywhere close to $1.2 trillion. Uh, that wasn't like even a 210, 220 yeah, billion. Yeah, like, uh, a little more than that. But uh, but yeah, it's like it was like maybe a third, a quarter of the $1.2 mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, these are the six major components. Like, well, where the, f is the rest of the money going? Yeah. Like, where are you allocating those? Like, here's the main thing. Like, $15 billion was one of your major things. Like, $15 billion out of $1.2 is a very, very, very small subset. It's like, what, just over 1% of the bill cost? And that was a major component of it? Yeah. I don't understand, like, where's all this money going? And that's just the, uh, our good old American government just taking money and just, just disappears. Yeah. Don't pay attention to it. Well, I mean, a, a few things that they definitely do need to be fixed, updated, upgraded, changed, whatever needs to happen, but it is our electrical system. I mean, 
right now you have parts of the U.S. that have been without power because of the immense heat wave that they've been getting. You know, places like Seattle, Washington, New York is getting hit. Like they're getting 105 degree weather that they're not used to getting. Yeah. The same like when Texas got the very cold temperatures that we're not used to getting. That the elect the electrical grids cannot sustain when the weather hits you. You know, they're not able to sustain that level of heat. And we saw even even with like the water and with everything, we saw well CPS here in San Antonio had sent everybody like, yeah, we're gonna jack up your electricity if you don't. Uh, use less of it you know so in order to incentivize you to use less electricity they increase the bill so that way that way you can use less but it's like i'm not gonna keep my temperature at 78 you're out of your damn mind Uh, you You, you can barely survive at 70 uh, yeah exactly at 70 i need a fan on me like no it's just not gonna happen so we go back to those things of going back to where are people gonna be moving to well People are seriously considering, considering, reconsidering because of weather issues. You know what I mean? Now it's like, well, if we get another heat wave, it shuts down the whole freaking state. So what are we going to do there? Or if we get a, another uh, cold winter, which a lot of people are expecting uh, Texas to get another really cold winter like we did last year. It's like, what's going to happen? Are we going to shut down again? You know, is it going to cause more problems? Is Did they even fix the problems from last time? So I think it's like, if you're going to put money in, those are real areas that you should put money in. You know what I mean? Because those are areas where those economies completely are forced to shut down for yeah. the time being. Like, that's a serious problem. Yeah, it's not the government coming in and shutting it down. It's like, no, like, the damn infrastructure can't sustain normal use of yeah. people. And that's like, that commerce well, is shut down, especially for a state as large as Texas. Like, it didn't just shut down just South Texas. Yeah. No, it shut down. Texas. Well, and we saw like our even our internet speeds went way the hell down. Like internet for speeds, the ones that we speeds, had, like, like to where like you were talking about, like, whoa, it's a lot of time I can catch up on doing some work and stuff like that. I was like, well, you kind of need internet to do just about everything. Yep. Uh, to where, I, well, I I have an internet connection, but it's slow as hell because they weren't getting power. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's very. Uh, yeah, Brian Pauling that he had a good point here. He says maybe they can roll Amtrak into the post office and it can transport mail buy a stamp take a take a ride <laughs> <laughs> yeah two things that just like just are just notoriously atrocious for any form of efficiency the post office and amtrak yeah what do those two things have in common hmm, run by the government so let's give them control of everything that's, wow somebody's uh, political yeah nope so, that's sorry what's uh, your next one uh angry <laughs> um that was really about like what's in the portion that passed mm-hmm where that's going to go with a three and a half trillion dollar one who knows because that's they're doing it via budget resolution which is a loophole in government that requires only 50 percent of voters or 50 percent of or you just have to get a majority and right now it's 50 democrats 50 republicans and the vice president breaks a tie which is democratic so they can go via budget resolution and can restructure this whole thing and they're saying but this next one it's about a ton of social programs and they're, they're labeling it as infrastructure for expanding or lowering the Medicaid uh, age required from 65 down to 60. Then uh, that's uh, healthcare for older people. They can't afford it. Then it's uh, making the child tax credit m- more permanent, uh, raising tax mm-hmm. on corporations, doing all of this stuff. And they want to hide in like three and a half trillion dollars uh, in spending for this thing. But while they passed the first procedural vote, to move towards budget resolution 
there are several Democrats that they said they, they're going to have to tread very, very lightly to not lose because they have a very slim majority or they have a majority by one person in the Senate and only a few in the House. Yeah. So you have a lot of progressives that are sticking their heads in the sand or not their feet in the sand and saying, nope, we will not negotiate. We want everything. And if we take anything out of that, we will vote against it. And then you have some more of the moderate Democrats, like um, I think it's a uh, a lady from Arizona, I believe, and then Joe Manchin of West Virginia. Mm-hmm. And both of them have come out and said, like, I voted to go ahead, like coming out in statements saying, like, I voted to go ahead and move towards this because I do agree some of it has some warrant to it and it is needed. But I am seriously concerned about the overall size and scope of, of this investment, especially when we're looking at these inflation numbers that are coming out and our national debt just at massively exploding over the last two, three years. And like, so some serious concerns about that being fiscally responsible, the size of this, and then doing that to where now you have those people saying like, yeah, we'll do it. But we want something half the size. Then you got the progressives on the democratic side. They're like, no, we want more. We want it $5 trillion. Like, so, so it's going to be a very so right now. The, this 1.5 trillion one is in, in Congress. Right. Um, and Pelosi said that she's not going to pass it. If the 3.5 is coming said, behind because it, because the house is in recess for summer break until September 20th. Yeah. They never work. I get it. Yeah. So the Senate passed it, sent that bill over to them, but they're not here to do anything. But she said she won't even bring up the first one for vote unless the second one is alongside it. So what happens then to all of the problems we discussed? If the, neither one of these get pushed through, like everything stays as is what problems are, could we see come out of this? Could we see, Again, and not to get political people, please don't get so offended. Let's try to look at this with a little bit more of an open mind so we understand as investors. But being that this is be, uh, COVID and everything has been used on both sides as a political tool, if this doesn't get passed, will we see COVID all of a sudden get ridiculously more dangerous and forceful shutdowns happen where these packages need to go through to get stimulus packages out, right? Are they going to, you, you get where I'm going at? Like, no. are they going to pass it this way or are they, are things going to get so bad later that they're going to then pass it that way? Because COVID getting bad and everything, like nothing's really changed. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the amount, yeah. Infections has spiked. Well, yeah, everybody started going out. It's the summer. Everybody's been traveling, going everywhere. The virus didn't go away. It, it still needs to spread through everybody. Everybody was going to get, uh, everybody started getting tested more because a lot of people started going back to work. So that's why those numbers spike where before people were home, they weren't getting tested. You know, everybody starts going back to work. You get tested, the numbers go up. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, you look at all these things and it's like, yeah, of course it was going to go up. It was bound to go up. You understand? So it's like, does it become more severe where now the government just says, no, th- we don't want it this high. We're going to shut it down. We're going to shut everything down. And then it's like, oh, we're shut down. We need another stimulus. Well, but I mean, uh, who who knows uh, where it goes? Um, but I mean, as far as like the shutdown aspect, you know I mean, like Texas didn't even really shut. They did originally one time for April when everybody shut down to kind of protect the way. But like ever since then, been very, very, very open. Uh, since and so I don't see Texas like coming out and saying we need all businesses to shut down. Right. Um, so I mean, there's the good side about it. And I mean, 
minus if you turn the freaking news off and just ignore people that are wearing masks, I couldn't. T- <laughs> I couldn't. Oh no, I'm saying in the sense like you just didn't like ask yeah, a question. Yeah, yeah, You're yeah, like, sure. business is normal. I mean, places are packed. Restaurants are packed. Everywhere I go is packed. Like the roads are packed. Traffic's back. Schools. I mean, everybody's yeah. out and about. Like, so if you just didn't question why people were wearing masks and weren't paying attention to the news, you wouldn't notice anything different between 2019 and now. Well, so it's like, the, the, like, that's but where the I, thing is, like, people do pay attention to the news. No, I, yes, I, so, I do know that. No, but, just, but going back to what we talked about before of, like, as an investor, what do you look at is you look at those things. You know, like you said, Texas didn't, like, completely shut down like so many other places in the in the country. So th- what I said before, I think, on the last uh, Coffee with the Johns is that we well, – I think we will see another wave of the people that were on the fence about moving – definitely moving like i mean i have family in new york and they're telling me how uh, pretty much in new york city if you want to go to restaurants you want to get on the train you got well, to your brother your brother to buy a car yeah you gotta you gotta prove that you're vaccinated you gotta show that you're vaccinated if not you pretty much can't do anything you're not allowed anywhere right i'm sure in the more rural areas of new york like that's probably not an issue but when you talk about New York City with nine plus million people. Well, and that's also like it's the economic driver of that entire state. You move New York out and New York is nothing. Well, and, you know, Cuomo, who recently decided to resign. Oops. <laughs> uh, but he was we talked about it before, too, how he was begging people to come back of how many left. Like, is this going to make New York more desirable or less desirable? Because I know a lot of investors were talking about. This is the time when you buy New York, right? Because New York is on sale right now. And of course, people are going to come back because it's New York. Who the hell doesn't want to be in New York? Businesses, everything, right? Like, it's New York. It's going to come back. But now with this, it's like, are, are we seeing kind of like, you know, it crashed and went up a little bit. And are we going to see another big dip? You know, because it's like, they're pretty much, if you're not vaccinated, like, you're not it allowed goes to, to go I anywhere. mean, I don't know. But you look at the numbers, like 70% of the U.S. population has at least had one shot. They're saying a little over 50% of the U.S. population is fully vaccinated. Fully vaccinated and like 70, close to 70% have I mean, like it's a big had, number. It is. It's a big yeah. number. And it's like 70%. So it's like, okay, if 70% have had one shot, that means 70% are going to get the second shot. Exactly. Eventually. Um, and then to all where, the like, So you look at those numbers, like, well, obviously those 70% are okay with it. Yeah. And like the more pressure they put, and that's what I said, I think it comes back down to how much can control and power can... Uh, authority, whether it be a state, company, municipality, federal government, local governments, press upon their people. They're all testing using this, like the old saying, like never let a good crisis go to waste. They're like well, we're in a crisis, and even, it's like they're trying to see how much power they can get and get these laws written into the rule book. Yeah. So the next time this happens, those laws are clearly defined and who has power. Yeah, and they're they're still bypassing them anyway. But like, let's say even even to that point, at, to what point? Are these, you know, like, let's say the Abbots and the DeSantis going to keep fighting when you see that 70% of the U.S. population is vaccinated and growing, right? It gets to a point where it's like, look, guys, like, it, it seems like the people that you're fighting for, a very, very small demographic of people. That's yeah. like, if the reason you're fighting you know, I, I call me a cynic or whatever you want to call me, but like, I don't believe politicians give a goddamn about anybody. Uh, they care about themselves and getting reelected. So it's picking a side so I can get the most votes. But if you're seeing 70% of the people are vaccinated, then it's like, it doesn't seem like you're going to win many elections, but 
You know what I mean? Like you're you're kind of fighting a losing battle here. At what point are they going to say, "All right, let's just kind of give in because it's just what it is." The same as businesses. When are businesses going to start giving in and be like, "Yeah, we got to start demanding it because if not, we're we're going to get great people are going to leave and even better people are not going to want to come work with us." And then it's like then we start hurting as a business. Yeah. So it's That's like said, it, who knows? Th- those are things like when you see these major corporations, Walmart, Facebook, Google, everybody demanding them, it's like the hell else do you have? Yeah. It gets to a point where it's like, go live off the land somewhere. Because yeah. <laughs> if you want to be in any well, that's civilized- what I was talking with somebody the other day about. It's like, what do you do? And they're like, oh, we we fight and stuff. It's like, you put it. The majority of people don't want to. It's like, what are your options? You're gonna go raise a cow and a couple chickens and live off the farm. It's like well, you can't own anything. I was like, you're gonna have to go to like some mountainous city and live off in the woods that nobody knows you're there yeah. like you just have to like you have a cell phone you wouldn't have electricity you wouldn't have this because like you're off the grid because if you're on the grid they know where you're at and they could find a way to pressure you to get these quote-unquote vaccines and to get you, oh, get you just with, it's like can they turn the pressure up with what i said before about them saying how it's criminal for people not to have it that they're borderline terrorists because of what they're doing that's kind of setting the stage. At some point, are you going to be getting arrested for not having it? I mean, somebody had told me, I don't know if it's true or not, that they're saying like in Australia, it's pretty much gone that way. So, you know, like, is that going to happen? You, where we're going is not conspiracy theories or anything like that. It doesn't matter, um, you know, like how pissed off you get about this. What we're saying is, how does that affect your investments? What trends are you seeing? Based on everything that we said here, based on everything that we're talking about, where are you going to see the most opportunity as far as real estate goes? That's the question. Based on that, that's where you make your decisions. You understand as to where you're going to invest. And that's the place that you and I are always analyzing and we're always talking about and trying to determine. It's like, is it going to be Texas or should we start looking to invest somewhere else? Right? It's like, I don't know. You know, we'll, we'll, if you if all of a sudden you start seeing us recording from a different studio, then you know what we decided. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but until then, uh, we still believe in Texas. We still believe in what's going on here. So uh, regardless of which way it goes, like we still believe that the market itself is strong. Demand infrastructure, a lot of things in here are very strong. That's like, that's why we're in Texas. Mm-hmm. But uh, what 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 do you have next? Do you have anything? Yeah, and one you, you wanted to leave, you wanted to hold off on this map showing real rental assistance state. Well, I wanted to get into first uh, inflation, inflation nation. So we have um, the labor department reported Wednesday that consumer prices were five point four percent higher in July than a year ago. That matches the June inflation rate, which was uh, the highest in nearly 13 years. The increase was driven by rising costs for shelter, food, energy, and new cars. Most of the recent jump in inflation has been caused by the pandemic's bottleneck, like the shortage of chips that limited new car production and caused a big spike (laughs) in the price of used cars. You said chips, and I was like, I feel like I can get chips at the grocery store pretty easily. Went the whole other way. I like, I like chips. And so, uh, continuing with this. <laughs> wow, Whoops. somebody's hungry. Uh, rising worker, uh, rising worker pay could become a bigger factor in higher prices going forward, even if it's not raising alarm bells yet. So you have burrito chain Chipotle 
for example, boosted its average pay to $15 an hour this summer, but to cover the cost of that pay increase, Chipotle raised prices 3.5 to 4%. Um, for the moment, restaurants are able to pass on higher costs to consumers without a hit to their bottom lines uh, because demand for eating out remains so strong. People are tired of cooking their own meals. Uh, they're tired of cleaning up after themselves. They want to be waited on and they want to be social. And restaurants are a great place to do that. The rising cost of living erodes some of the benefits of higher pay for workers who will have to pay more for a range of goods across the board. So you're looking at all this and they're increasing wages, but then they're increasing food costs and everything like we discussed before that they were going to do because it's like you can't pay people more and live off the same margins. Like you got to increase costs of things. But one thing that they're not talking about is what a lot of people call shrinkflation. Right. And for those of you that don't know what shrinkflation is, shrinkflation is when they sell you the same bag of chips with more air in them. So that time I did say chips. Okay. Remember the eating chips. Gotcha. But when you sell this the same bag and, and Chipotle may be doing the same shit where they're, yes, they're, they increase their prices a little bit. And you're saying how they're sustaining their wages. Well, maybe their burritos got a little bit smaller. You know what I mean? Maybe they're putting a little bit less meat, a little bit more lettuce. You don't know, you know, they, they do these little tricks that you, it's not enough for most people to realize. That might be actually and, good for some people yeah. eating less food. So. <laughs> yeah. So, but you, you look at this and those are things that you got to keep in mind that you say, oh, but look, inflation isn't going up because these prices aren't going up. Okay. The prices aren't going up, but are you getting less? You know, that's something that yeah. I've always heard people complain, but they don't put two and two together. That's like, oh, look, I bought the cereal box. It's bigger. What I do all the time, and this is a habit I've always had, is I always look at the actual the weight. weight. I look at the weight or the fluid ounces or something like that. I look at the actual, cons because then you say, because they always, like you have this size for this price or this size, it's much bigger for this price. And it's like, but in proportion, it's only a little oh, bit Oh, I bigger. do that all the time. I'm not like, paying uh, an extra $2 for that. HEB does this a lot. It puts like the price per ounce or price per quantity. Oh. of on the stickers so if you look at it, like this like I, I recently did it towards like hey buy the big bottle of two for five of the seasoning packet or on sale you can get five for five of the smaller ones yeah and then they break down the cost per ounce yeah in those and it was still cheaper to buy the five small ones than the two big ones right so you like it does the only thing i have never been able to figure out and it baffles me is toilet paper <laughs> Because it's like, how many rolls is like, this is a mega roll. Like, I've never seen a normal size roll. And it's like, cost per sheet, cost per weight. We're co like, they give all these different well, measures. Even, even like toilet paper. I mean, they could start with toilet paper just taking out, uh, putting a few less sheets at a time. You know what I mean? Per rolls. And all of a sudden, those little bit less sheets over the quantity of everything adds up to a lot of money for them. Yeah. So when you look at inflation, you look at costs, you look at all these things, it's like, there's a lot of way inflation is going to hit you. But one of the things that's very interesting is that you you had brought up before how rental and uh, rentals rents are a big part of the CPI, right? They're like I think a third or something like that. Yeah. But they are not factoring the true rent increases that we've had. Yeah. They're not factoring that in. So if they were to factor that in, actual inflation is even much higher than that. Yep. But wages are not keeping up with that. 
right? So you're having, you're, where, where am I going with all this? Is that you're going to start seeing this in a lot of restaurants. You're going to start seeing this in a lot of the food. You're going to get that inflation. It's just going to come in different ways. You Maybe you're going to get a little bit of price increase and a little bit less food, and that's going to balance out a little bit. So you see a little bump in price, which is, oh, it's okay. And you get a little bit less food, which the majority of people don't realize. So then it's like, oh, yeah, it's fine. You know what I mean? Look, it's just, it only went up 25 cents. Like, yeah, yeah, but you also got 10% less food. Well, you'll notice that too. If they do get this like bigger infrastructure pack- package through, uh, they are showing to pay for it by raising the corporate tax. And yeah. it's like, like corporations don't pay taxes. Like, yes, their tax rate might go up, but that gets passed straight on down to the end consumer. Like their margins are set. They make those big corporations, like they make 10 to 15% margin. That's the average to where if you raise their taxes, they're still going to make the 10 to 15%. And it's just going to come down from smaller quantities, higher prices, less workers. Yeah. It's like, they don't pay it. Like, the, yes, more money goes to government, but it gets passed on straight through to the bottom line in consumers and their workforce. So you'll definitely see more of that uh, for sure. Yeah. So I do have another... Uh, well, well, I wanted to say, uh, is it on inflation? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Uh, so the uh, this is when the report came out. It says Dow futures jump 120 points after inflation report is not as bad as feared. Not as bad, like but still bad. So stock market goes up. So the Dow Jones Industrial Average and the S&P 500 rose on Wednesday after inflation jumped, but not quite as much as investors feared when stripping out volatile food and energy prices. <laughs> July when consu- stripping out. Okay. Yeah. July Consumer Price Index release Wednesday showed prices jumped 5.4% since last year compared to expectations of 5.3, according to economist survey by Dow Jones. The government said CPI increased 0.5% in July on a month-to-month basis. But investors were concentrating on the core rate of inflation, which could signal inflation will remain tempered and the economy will remain strong. CPI excluding energy and food prices rose 0.3 last month below the get this 0.4% increase expected so 0.1 different core prices still jumped 4.3% on a year over year basis the data should help a surge investors fears that the fed is too laid back about inflation pressures said Seaman Shah the chief strategist at Principal Global Investors. The detail of the data release suggests some easing in the reopening and supply shortage-driven boost to prices and tentatively suggests that the inflation may have peaked. Investors in the transitionary camp will feel slightly vindicated. 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 I'll teach you English later. Yeah, I'll take lessons from you. (laughs) So... Very interesting um, to see that like, oh, it wasn't as bad. So it's like 0.1 less. And that's saying like, well, inflation seems to have peaked because uh, it wasn't raising anymore. It's still at a high level, but it's slowly coming back down. So, yeah. I mean, we see it in lumber prices to where like oh, a yeah. sheet of plywood to where like right now I'm like, man, I'm kind of glad we hit a delay in our uh, project because our lumber package dropped in half. Yep. Because I just spent $6,000 in plywood yesterday and six months ago, or not six months, like just as recently as like two, three months ago, that sucker would have been like ten, twelve thousand dollars $12,000 in plywood because a sheet of half inch plywood went from $49 down to $23 in a month at Home Depot. Well, but the, there's also like kind of like, um, what is it? Uh, a hurricane, right? That they always talk about the tail of the storm. Um, this is something that everybody thinks, you know, oh, lumber pride. Uh, prices are coming back down great everything is getting back to normal but all of a sudden we start seeing shortages in other areas we're seeing shortages in electrical supplies we're seeing shortages in plumbing materials 
Um, my wife was telling me insulation. about insulation. I have a, my wife, she has a friend that she says her daughter got hurt. They took it to the ER. She needed stitches, but they don't have any more numbing cream. So her little two-year-old needed to get stitches with no numbing cream. <laughs> I was like, that must have been a hell of an experience. But it's like, it's things that you don't think about normally, right? That's, it's not just the, you know, oh, lumber went up. Now it came down. It's over. It's like, no, there's still more that's been affected that hasn't caught up yeah. yet. You know what I mean? That there, we, we do see shortages in so many things. There are things that, you know, that you would buy regularly at Amazon or through Amazon. And all of a sudden it's like, you go, it's like only two left. And then they're out of stock for weeks or you order something. And it's like, no, we're out of stock. We don't have any. We'll yeah. get some later. And it's like, there's this, these shortages and everything. It affects, uh, the whole supply chain. Yep. But, um, with that being said, I, I want with this whole inflation conversation, I wanted to tie it into real estate. Is about how much rental assistance has been shared, uh, has been given out by states, and you're gonna see how, you know, my point on how this ties into inflation. So for the last six months or so, more than 11 million renters have reported being behind. That's a huge number. 11 million renters have reported being behind. So out of the $46 billion, just around $4.2 billion of that money has been, has been reached to households according to a new uh, analysis. So what's that? Less than uh, 1%, 10%. Wow. Yeah, so less than 10% of the money has been uh, distributed. Texas has already managed to distribute more than half of its first round of federal rental assistance, while South Carolina has given out less than 2%. God. Oh, I thought that was my phone. Um, less than 2%. Across the country, programs are understaffed and overwhelmed by the volume of applications, insufficient outreach, and uh, arduous uh, documentation requirements have also been barriers. A recent study by the Urban Institute found that fewer than half of the renters even know about the federal assistance. So start putting, start piecing these things together. If you're an investor, start piecing all these data points together. You have 11 million renters that are reported to be in behind. You have $46 billion of rental assistance out there but only 4.2 billion has been given. And then you have about half of the renters, so half of the 11 million, don't even know about the federal assistance or are even trying to get it. So Andrew Aron, Aron uh, Vice President for Research at the Housing Coalition, said he ran into one application that was 45 pages long. An application, 45 pages long. Another required renters to document their income over the last six months. They're demanding things that many tenants don't have, like the landlord's email address, for example, said Dan Rose. Um, he's an assistant professor of sociology and the organizer of Housing Justice Now. Public officials are more concerned about so-called scammers getting this money than they are about people who truly need it. The, uh, the CDC issued a new, the new eviction moratorium last week after the previous one had expired July 31st. Protection applies until October 3rd. And to, place, uh, to places where COVID rates remain high, which is about 80% of the U.S. counties. So what will happen to inflation index 
when a large portion of the 11 million properties that the landlord gets back after evictions are up, because you have 11 million people that are behind, you have, they're saying half of them don't even know what to apply for them. The other half is not even getting it. They only have until October. So once evictions start cre creeping in, those people get evicted. Those landlords are desperate to jack up the rents to meet the, the market standards because they're still probably charging rent from freaking two years ago. You know what I mean? And rents, as we've seen, have gone drastically up. So how is that going to affect inflation index and everything when well, or all so, those or homes... Or the, the massive amount of supply hits the market and uh, prices fall. Because that's one that's not like foreclosures where houses have to hit the market. There's not that many foreclosures in relation to the overall housing uh -huh. as there are renters behind two renters. So I think that is something that like once those people do start for that inventory does get to the market, um, you're going to see uh, some of those prices. Like I wouldn't say they're going to fall by any means, but you're going to yeah. see, I think, a, a decent amount of supply come in the coming months. But it's also one of the things like the court system has to work through all of those. Yep. It's not like we're going to do them all in one shot. And every state's different. Texas, I think, is one of the fastest ones yeah, to do almost process half. evictions. Oh, yeah. But it's still one of those that, like, they can't, they can only do so many a day. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole process that has to go through that. So I think some of that relief is going to come. But it also, in, in the point of the money getting out to it, it's like, yeah, they threw it on these states to say, hey, here's all this money we're going to pass for you guys to get to tenants, renters, owners, whoever they may be. States have no capability yeah. to process that stuff. So they had to start from scratch with all this money, short-staffed, and build out whole processes, especially amongst one of the greatest shortage of uh, labor in most recent history. Yeah. That it's like, now you got to get tech people, you got to build platforms, you got to get analysts, you got to get phone, you got to build all of these processes out to like try to avoid scammers. Because I know there were several people that uh, I had talked to, one in particular, he said, yeah, I had a tenant legitimately tell me that she was not going to pay rent. And it says, well, you still have to pay rent. No, I don't. The government says you, you can't evict me. And the government says uh, that they're going to pay for it. So um, you can go collect from them. <laughs> oh, man. But they're, the government is also, the states are being kind of smart about that. It's like, no, you can't just pay rent because you don't want to pay rent. Now we're giving it. It's like, that's not how this works. You actually had to have needed the money. You have to document your income for six months. So it shows that you made plenty of money. And you just didn't want to pay your rent. They're like, no, we're not going to give you money for that. So that kind of person's like, if you're trying to game and work the system, and I, I'm actually kind of happy to hear that. It's like, yeah, you tried to abuse the system just because you didn't want to, and yeah. you're going to pay the price at the end of it. But they had to build through how do they eliminate those people. That's why it's been so slow to get this money out because like they have no processes to give tenants money. Yeah. No, I, I think uh, that's a excellent point. It's just I, I don't agree with that prices are going to drop. I don't think because demand is still way too high, especially in the areas that you know are hot and are going to remain hot. So, but that being said, I I mean they're pretty much saying it here. You have half of them don't even know about it or not even trying to apply. You have the other half that they're being hit with forty five page applications and asking for things that they don't have access to. And we know how lazy people are when you got to go through all those things. Now you start factoring in your head. It's like, okay, so I'm getting evicted. What do I do next? You know what I mean? Like, you start like I still don't have to that. pay rent for till October. Yeah. As I start looking up, nah, I know I could do all that stuff, get it. But it's just like, I'll just save my money so I can go and. And then you have, thing. and you have that, you have, like you said, you, you have the city, you have places that are still severely understaffed. 
So there, if you get all of a sudden, like what we see all the time, we get always those calls like a day before foreclosure, like, Hey, I need to sell my house. I'm getting foreclosed tomorrow. It's like, geez, you literally uh, waited to the last second like, to do this. So you're going to get probably a huge inflood of applications like in the next month or so, right? That they're not going to be able to sort through. The The extension is going to expire. And then you're going to have a massive wave of evictions. You know what I mean? Because it's still a lot of people. It's still going to be a yeah. lot of evictions happening. So... You know, and like to your point, you know, not everybody's going to qualify because there's a lot of people that purposely chose not to pay. So it's like, well, there you go. You're, you know what I mean? Like, you're not going to get it. It's not going to happen. Well, you go get it from the government. Like, why am I going to go get aid for you because you don't want to pay your rent? Yeah. Well, then a lot of times, like, they might just look at it. It's been this long. It's like, well, I just go over to my landlord and say, hey, uh, I'll just give you the, don't, you don't need to process the eviction. Um, I'll just give you the keys, turn the house back over. Yeah. And so now the eviction doesn't even go on their record. So now they haven't been paying rent for an entire year. Landlord's tired of it. They're like, just give me the house back. Like, I don't even want it to evict you. Just give me this back and you move on. I won't file it. And now you can go get a new start over again. So this tenant just basically lived rent-free for a year. Doesn't have an eviction on their record because they just didn't like, it's the equivalent of cash for keys for like a mortgage. It's like, hey, here you go. You pay me 500 bucks. I'll move. I'll vac- you don't have to do the eviction. You got the house back instead of going through the whole process. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, it's something that you you start again, like what we started with the, at the beginning of this episode. You start putting the pieces together. This is a big puzzle, right? You start putting the pieces together to see what the whole picture looks like. So you're having, you know, a lot of areas that are starting to force the vaccines. A lot of companies are starting to force the vaccines. Um, you have municipalities, governments. Uh, Biden said f- federal workers and everybody that works for the government, they're going to be forced to get vaccines. So you you have all of this is going to affect where people decide to live because they're probably, you know, people that don't want to get vaccines and don't want to wear a mask, they're not going to live in school districts that are demanding it, right? School districts are a big portion of what makes somebody want to move to a certain area. So that's going to affect your rentals. That's going to affect your home prices. And then you look at things like this, like you have inflation going up, rents uh, keep going up. You know, you have cost of food is going up, cost of living is going up, wages somewhat are going up, but not enough. People are feeling wealthier, but they're not really doing the math. That's like, you're not that much wealthier. No. You know what I mean? You're, you know, just because they bumped you up to $15, everything else has gotten so expensive. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We're seeing, we're still seeing more problems with oil. We didn't get to it today, but I mean, there were, there were just issues with oil everywhere and people are blaming Biden because he shut down the pipeline on uh, North Keystone, the Keystone pipeline. Yeah. They're like, what do you expect? You shut down pipeline, you shut down all these things and you say, why don't we have enough oil to bring the prices down? Right. And it's like, and then OPEC is playing the games of like, we're just not going to release that much oil. Yeah. So gas prices, that's, that affects transportation, that affects the goods, the shortage of goods that we're having. Shortage of truck drivers, people, if they're being forced, they're not going to go to work. And I mean, fun times. Yeah, all of these things, you put them together and it's like, okay, as an investor, what does that data mean? Right? As an investor, where am I going to invest? What am I going to do? So, hope you guys have enjoyed this episode. Uh, Like I said, this afternoon, we're going to be going to one of our properties. So, and we do this, uh, we try to do this quite regularly. So if you want to join us on one of our property tours and you're in San Antonio, make sure to text property tour to 210-794-9898. Give us a thumbs up if you're enjoying it. 
And as an announcement, we will be taking off until September from doing Coffee Burr. with the Johns. Uh, we have a lot on our plate, a lot of things that we're working on, that we're building. We're bringing a lot of cool things to you guys. Um, we're going to have a lot of nice surprises, some uh, big news to share with you guys uh, when we do come back for a little changes for Coffee with the Johns. So stay tuned for that. If you want to be alerted of any news, anything that's happening, because we still look at them, we look at them for ourselves. Uh, again, join the text community. Just text uh, CWTJ, Coffee with the Johns, to 210-794-9898. And throughout these next couple of weeks, as uh, important headlines and stuff like that, I'm going to be sharing our thoughts uh, just to that community. So if you want to hear that, make sure you join our community. With that being said, guys, I hope you have an amazing weekend, an amazing rest of your summer, and we will see you all in September. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.